Thank you so much, Anya. Good evening, church. Um, it's so awesome to be here with you all tonight. Um, we're speaking about revival, for those of you that weren't aware. Um, and there's so much that we can talk about on this topic. Um, the previous two weeks, the first week, Andre told us a little bit about what is revival and what should be our attitude and heart towards this topic of revival. And last week, Yaku spoke a little bit more about focusing on revival comes from the knowledge of God. And so he spoke about the knowledge of the Father. And tonight, we're going to look at the Son, at Jesus Christ. So I love stories. Um, I feel like I learn the most from people's stories. Um, I love reading uh, books about knowledge as well. But I feel like I learn more from people's stories. I love watching documentaries on people's lives. I watch reading, love reading books on people's lives. And um, you know, just for example, like Pamela, you inspire me so much. I had the privilege of um, having lunch with Pamela today. And um, Pammy was on campus with us, doing campus ministry here with us in Centurion. And... Uh, she decided very quickly that she's going to Zambia, and we were all excited for her. And then she had to get her things ready for Zambia so quickly. I remember, I think I had, like, a coffee with you somewhere in the end of November, and you were still telling me that you're still waiting for your visa, you're still waiting for things to get ready. That was last year, November. And, um, yeah, December, you know, we were still waiting for the visa and for things to fall in place. And the next minute, I get this message, I'm in Zambia. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How? Um, and she's like, no, um, I just got tired of waiting, and I knew I needed to go, so I just went. And I'm like, but did you have your visa? She's like, no. I just went without a visa because I knew that God was going to make a way. And I was like, come on, come on, we need that faith. Um, so well done, Pammy. We're so proud of you, and it's so awesome to have you here. Um, so... Stories on revival, there are so many, um, and I really want to encourage you to learn about people's stories of people that went to places to go and preach the gospel to people who never heard of Jesus before, and what Jesus did there, what Jesus did with their lives. Sometimes it's not one generation or two generations. Sometimes it's 10 generations later before a place is changed and turned to God, and we don't understand that, and that's what Andre said in the first sermon we don't understand why God sometimes take, takes a long time, right? Um, he has his own timeline, and we don't understand that. But we need to keep on having this heart to say, Lord, what do you want to do on this earth? Because this earth is broken and messed up, and we are here, we love you, and what do you want to do? How can we pray into that? How can we spend time with you? How can we... Um, Partner with your spirit, because the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, right? So the Holy Spirit shares God's heart with us, and it's as we then partner with the Holy Spirit and pray with the Holy Spirit that we actually see God moving and transforming and doing things. So some of the stories that I've loved looking at is in this book. This book is called Jesus Freaks, okay? So there was a song that Hillsong sang, or it wasn't Hillsong, I don't remember it was, um, what would people do if they say that I'm a Jesus freak or whatever? Um, this book is about more than just singing a song, okay? 
So this book is filled with stories of martyrs, people that died for their faith, died because they didn't want to deny Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's incredible when you read through these stories to see um, just what these people went through um, and the declarations that they made. Now, we know a lot of preachers, right? We know a lot of famous preachers and authors and things, but very few of these names are known. Very few people actually know who these people are and were and what they did, and even after they died, what happened then. Because many times revival comes sometimes when someone dies for the sake of Christ. And I want to read to you a declaration that shortly after I came to faith in Christ, I went to a missions conference and someone shared this declaration of one of these missionaries that died for Christ. Um, he wrote it just before he died. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And it says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision is made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. So this declaration that this man wrote has been echoed throughout mission schools, throughout the years, through so many people. Um, and I think it's clear to us why, right? You can hear that this man was sold out for Christ. And a couple of times in my life, I've read this declaration almost as a prayer, like, Lord, please let me be this real and this passionate about you. And about a month ago, I was reminded of this declaration, and I looked for it again, and I read it again, and I just started crying, and I was like, Lord, where am I with you? What am I doing? And I think this whole year has been a year of asking God, even for myself, to revive me, to, re to revive my heart in my love for him, in my devotion to him. Because sometimes when we follow Jesus for a couple of years, we get so busy with stuff that we, we lose him. And, and the other stuff becomes so important that we forget who it is that we're really following and who it is that we're really serving. 
So revival in our hearts take place when we recognize Jesus as our Savior, right? Because we realize I'm sinful, I need to be saved, um, and that's, that's a supernatural moment, okay? We can know about sin, but it's different from when you actually realize what your sin is doing and when you actually realize you need a Savior. And that's when we recognize Him as our Savior, but there has to happen something else as well. We have to recognize Him as Lord. And Lord means that my life is now His, I do not have the ownership of my own life any longer. And it's easy to say that, and we know that, and we read it in our one-to-one and in our discipleship groups, but it's this concept of the lion and the lamb that we see in Scripture. And it's difficult for us to really understand all of the symbolism in Scripture. Um, You really need to spend time in Scripture and read and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, come and really reveal to me more of you. But the lamb is the one that was innocent, that was sacrificed for us. He lived the life that we should have lived, and then he died the death that we should have died in our place. And then he was raised from the dead, and God said, anyone who believes in him okay, will be saved. Paul says, anyone that declares with his mouth and believes in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. What does it mean to believe in my heart that he is Lord? That's where the lion part comes in. The lamb was raised, and he is now seated in heaven. He is ruling over this world, over the heavens, over everything, and he is coming back. All right? We know this. Jesus is coming back. And we, we write songs about this, and we sing, yay, he's coming back, like, looking forward to that. We say things to each other like, oh, Jesus must just come back now. Like, sure, that would just be awesome. But I think what we don't realize, when he comes back to this earth, he is not coming to be merciful and gracious. He did that on the cross. When he comes again, he is coming on a white horse, and I have a picture for you there. He is coming on a white horse His garments are dripped in blood, the blood of his enemies. He is coming to slaughter and to judge the earth. And so we don't talk about this Jesus a lot because, you know, we need to talk about grace. And yes, we do, but we need to understand the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is that this Jesus is not coming to play games. And we love to say that I'm going to be a friend of Jesus and I'm a friend of Jesus and all of that. And it's not wrong. We are friends of God. He calls us that in Scripture. But we need to understand that He is the Lion. He is Lord. And that is weighty. He is a King. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the center of the story. And if we do not make peace with that coming key now, when he comes, you're not going to be like, hey, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, buddy. You will fall on your face in fear. There are two places in Scripture where people meet with, with Jesus that we know of. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 
And he fell to the floor and he said, woe is me, I am undone. That's like saying, cursed is me, dead am I. And any person that, if you've ever spoken to people that have had that moment, that is what you feel like. You feel like, I'm going to die now. Because he is holy and we are not. And if you do not have a glorified body and a glorified mind in that moment, you will meet with that coming king. But he has made terms of peace, and that's the good news. Right? He did pay the price so that we can be holy before him. But then we need to look at what does he say? What does it mean to be under his lordship? Matthew 7 Verse 13 to 14, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, that's the day when he comes back, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's scary, church. Prophesy in my name, cast out demons on, in my name. Like, hey, God, am I not the person that had like 10 connect groups? Am I not the person that like served at victory training? Am I not the person that went on missions? What does it mean? What is God saying? What is Jesus saying? This is Jesus speaking. Jesus Christ is Lord. In Luke 9... Again, Jesus speaks and he says, if anyone would come after me, this is what he means, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake um, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses and forfeits himself? So he is literally saying, You will have to give up everything for the sake of my name, for following me, okay? Luke 14, he again has an opportunity to speak, and this is what he says to us. He says, now great crowd, it says there, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Okay, so some of us might be confused here because God says we should love our neighbor. He does want us to love people, but compared to who he is, there should not even be a competition in how much we love him and are willing to give up for him. Then he continues, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. After this, he speaks about someone that counts the cost, and he explains different parables or stories of how we count the cost before we decide to follow Christ. And then he says this, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, what is God saying? Are we supposed to sell all our stuff and buy our way into heaven? No, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is, what it means to follow him, what it means to be a real disciple, to be a real Christian, it means that I, the moment that I declare lordship over my life, I transfer all that I am and all that I have 
for all that he is. That means there is not an area in my life where he does not rule and reign. And we know this. We know that this is what it's supposed to be. And this is also something that, by his grace, is actually supernatural. If we really have that moment with him where you say, God, I'll do anything but just take my life. And I've had those moments where I say, Lord, I'll do anything, just take my life. And then there are moments that I, I struggle to obey, and then he reminds me of what I said. And I'm like, sorry, Lord, yes, Lord. Let's go, let's do it. I trust you. In the Bible, there are different people that refer to themselves to Christ in a certain way. And a lot of the apostles and a lot of the people in the Bible refer to themselves as servants of Christ, but also as bond servants of Christ. Now, we are not always aware of what that term bond servant means, but basically, if you read up about it, you can go Google this and say, what is a bond servant? A bond servant was someone that maybe was a slave before, and then they decide, I love my master so much, so even if their master decides that they are actually free, they say, no, I want to be your slave forever. And then there's actually a law in Exodus that said that master must then take that slave to, you know, the leaders or whatever, and they will pierce his ear, and then he is a bond servant, a slave to that person for the rest of his life. But it's important to note that a bond servant volunteers he volunteers. He says, I want to be your slave for the rest of my life. And that's a relationship that we should have with Jesus. That's what it means to say, Jesus, you are Lord. Paul calls himself a slave of Christ, which means we are slaves to righteousness, which is a massive, incredible, like unfathomable gift. But it still means that we do what he says, we follow him, we lay down our lives, we lay down everything that is close and near and dear to us, and we say, Lord, I want you. With all of me, I want you. But how do we do this? We know this, right? And talking about this is not going to create revival in this room or out there. Um, it's not going to cause us to all of a sudden fall down on our faces tonight and fast and seek his face and pray day and night, right? So what do we need? What do we need to understand about Jesus Christ? What are we missing? We are looking for fruit. We are looking for fruit in our own lives. We are looking for fruit in the earth. And we had a theme this year, which was abide. Come on. So John... The Apostle John writes in John 15, and he says, these are the words of Jesus again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we know this very well, right? We've all read this. We've had sermon series on this. 
abide, abide, abide. Um, and if I have to ask you now, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but how's it going with your abiding? Nine out of ten, five out of ten. How do we measure abide? What is abide? John, the apostle who wrote this, it's interesting that John wrote this incredible piece of scripture. Like if you read John 14, 15, 16, 17, it's almost as if you cannot stop reading because of the things that Jesus said in those pieces of scripture. And it's interesting that in all the other um, gospels, none of the other apostles wrote that, which we don't understand why and one day we'll know. But it's interesting, John had a very deep relationship with Jesus. And they say, scholars say, that when John wrote this gospel, he was already 90 years old. So that means about 60 years have taken place between when Jesus went up to when he wrote this. And he had a deep understanding of the love of God and the love of Jesus. And he had a longing to be close to Jesus. He had a longing to be loved by him and to love him. In John 15 verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And we read this and we're like, wow, that's, that's nice. The God of the universe sent his son down to earth to die for us. That God is a triune God. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are perfect. They don't have family fights. They have a perfect relationship. The love that they have for each other, we cannot understand that love. It's impossible for us. And that love that the Father has for His Son is the way that Jesus loves us. What does that mean? How do we understand that? How do we even try to absorb that or feel that or experience that? And that's why we have so many songs about the love of God and, you know, I'm no longer a slave to fear and all of those things. Because his love infiltrates our lives. But it comes and then it goes and we get busy with other things. And John was the apostle that did not get busy with other things. John was so soaked in this idea that the God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, loves me the way that God the Father loves him. And it's interesting, when John wrote this, and he sort of introduces himself in this whole gospel, he continually introduces himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? Which sounds like, was he Jesus' favorite? Does he think he was Jesus' favorite? Um, does he have a pride issue? Like, what's wrong with him, you know? But the thing is, that same love is the same love that Jesus has for all of us. But John was the one that decided he's going to take that and keep that and make that part of his identity. Because that's where lordship is birthed from. Because if I want to be a bondservant to someone, if I voluntarily want to say to someone, I want to be your slave for the rest of my life. You can do with me and my family and my possessions and everything what you want to, because that's what it meant to be a slave. You have to understand that master, and you have to understand his love, and you have to trust him 
You have to believe his goodness. When we sing that song, this amazing song that we are singing now about if the Holy Spirit, the Spirit pours it, we will drink it. That's a scary line to sing, guys. But it's not scary if we know how good he is. If we know how good he is, we say, Lord, I am scared, but you are good. And I know that you will not pour anything for me to drink that is not good for me. Because you want better things for me than I want for myself. And being eternity-minded comes from this, understanding the love of God. Understanding that my core identity in life is this. It's that the God of the universe loves me the same way that he loves his son. And that his son loved me enough to die for me. And obviously next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and his role in all of this and his love for us. But when John introduces himself, when he speaks of himself, he says this, John 21 verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So John writes here, John can write anything about himself, okay? This is his book, okay? He's writing it. So he can write about himself whatever he wants to. And this is the way that he wants to be known. He wants to be known as the one whom Jesus loved and the one who loved him back. And this is the key for us to have vibrant hearts for God. This is the key to stay in lordship. This is the key to stay on fire for Jesus, is to make that the primary thing of your life. Yes, God does promise us blessing. He does promise us success. If you look at even Abraham, when God said to Abraham, you're going to, be, you're going to have many nations, there's going to be generations, you're going to have so many possessions, but he said, your primary reward is me. I am your primary reward. And it is when we replace that primary reward with the other stuff that we want from God, that we grow weary, that we become scared, that we no longer say, yes, Lord, but we say, maybe, Lord, or later, Lord. It comes from this understanding that the fact that God loves me, and I'm one of the few people on earth that actually loves him back, which is grace. That is all grace, guys. If I understand that, that he loves me and I'm one of the few people that loves him back, that already makes me successful, eternally speaking, okay? And then I don't have to accomplish anything else on this earth. Sure, he does promise us that we will bear fruit and there will be other blessings, but that cannot be the reason why we do things. I have a friend who often asks us, you know, if you know that Jesus is coming back end of next year, how would your life look like? Like, what would you do? And many of us think, yo, I'm going to have like 10 connect groups and I'm going to go on 12 missions and like, I'm going to go. Which is a good response. But I think the first response, which is the best response, is to start planning your devotional life and making sure that you and Jesus are tight. Because like that declaration said, at the end of the day, when he comes back, will he have a problem recognizing me? 
or will he know who I was, who I am? Because I love him so much, I'm so lost in him, that that is the primary reward in my life. That is the main way that I want to be known by God. I want to lean on his chest. I just want to spend a little bit more time with him. And yes, all the other things that we want to do for God are good. But if this is not your number one priority, you will grow weary. You will burn out. You will go through seasons where you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm praying and I'm trying to read my Bible, but it's just a dry season. I'm in a desert. We're in a desert because this is not the primary reward for us anymore. Because there's other things that we're looking at and we're not seeing them and they disappoint us. They confuse us. We look at church and Christianity and things and then we're like, oh, I'm confused and I'm frustrated and I'm disappointed. And now I'm in a desert. But if this remains the number one top priority in my heart, I will not grow weary. I will stay fervent and passionate for God. I will stay on fire for Jesus. Because no matter what I do today, when I step out of the door, I am already loved. And I'm already one of the most successful people that lived on planet Earth ever. Because I love him back. And so John refers to himself as disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved five times. Five different scriptures, John 12, 23, 19, 26, 22, um, 21, 7. He keeps on referring to himself in this way because he himself has decided, I will not forget this. I will not make anything else more important. And it's from that place of security and love and understanding my Jesus that I can say, you are Lord and I will follow you anywhere, even if it doesn't make sense even if it is uncomfortable. Because Jesus does want to make you uncomfortable. But he will first comfort you, and he will go with you. When Pamela had to go to Zambia, she was very excited, but quite uncomfortable. And there were very much a lot of moments during this year where she was uncomfortable. And she had to go and find her comfort in this. In the fact that Jesus loves her and that she loves him back. And that's good enough. No matter how much fruit there is, no matter, you know, how your bank account looks or whatever those other things are. This is the most important thing. And church, this is something that I've been wrestling with this whole year. Is to get my heart back to this. And say, Lord, give me your grace to be able to live this. Because, I mean, for how many years did John live this? That this was the most important thing to him. He wrote five books of the Bible. That's quite a resume. He, know Jesus, he knew Jesus. He knew uh, Paul. He knew, you know, all of the other disciples. He um, was this disciple that Jesus many times said, uh, James and John, you guys come with me. Okay, so that's quite a resume. He can brag about anything, and he chooses to brag about this. I want to be like that. I want to brag about this. And this is not something that we can produce. But this is what causes revival. In our own hearts first, but then also out there. And this is what we need, church. 
we need to return to this. We need to say, Lord Jesus, we need your anointing. We need your grace to make this the most important thing in my life. That nothing else that happens at work or in my family or what people say about me, that those things don't matter because I care about what you say about me. And we know this. We talk about this. This is what it means to be in Christ. But it's easier said than done. And I cannot create this in my own life. He has to do it. You know, obviously, I need to yield to it and say, Lord, yes, I'm coming. I want to love you. This needs to be my number one priority. But in the end, it is his Holy Spirit that actually does this, that actually allows me to repent and come back to him. And it's the same for you. I cannot produce this in your life. But when we pray for revival, this is what we need to trust for. This is what we need to repent of. This is what we need to come back to. In Revelation 2, Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus and he says, you've done all these great things, but this is what I have against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Repent and come back to me. And that is revival, guys. That is what it means. So we're going to take a time now to pray into this. And I want us to, again, spend time together. So groups of two, pray with someone. And let's just pray into this and seek God. And, and one of the prayers that's really helped me to pray into this is Psalm 51, which is a prayer that was written by King David after he really royally messed up. And what's so beautiful to me about David's psalms is in every single psalm, the way that he repents is so unashamed about his sin. He's so aware of his sin, but at the same time, he's so bold and aware of the power of Christ and the save, saving power of God's love. And he knows that I cannot clean myself, but God can. And so I want you to open your Bibles at Psalm 51. And I'm not going to read through the whole psalm now. You can read through that as you pray together and through the week as well. But some of the things that, that I've really felt um, and to pray is from verse 7 where he, he first declares all of his sins. And then he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, help me to, to get back to that moment when I first got saved. That passion, that fire, that joy. That like almost like irresponsible obedience. Get me back to that, Lord. And then it goes on to say, O oh Lord, open my lips from verse 15. And my mouth will declare your praise. So if God does this, this is what's going to happen. We're going to not be able to stop praising him. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. 
you will not despise. And church, my prayer is that God would break our hearts over the fact that we have lost the joy of our salvation. And to come back to that and say, Lord, I know that you don't actually want sacrifice. You actually just want me. You want my heart. And that's the true core of lordship. Is to say, Lord, all of me, all that I am and all that I have for all that you are. So I'm just going to pray for us. And then after that, I want you to pray two, two together. Lord Jesus, we come to you in desperation, God. And thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But thank you at the same time that you're the one that loves us even though we are so wicked and flawed. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us of this tonight, that you would bring us back to having you as our first love, that our greatest, proudest declaration that we can make of our lives is that I am the disciple whom Jesus loves, and I love him back. Lord, come and touch our hearts. Come and help us to pray tonight. And Lord, lead us into seeking your face, to keep on knocking, to keep on searching for you, Lord. Take us deeper, God. We know there's more, and we want more, Lord. We do not want to be a mediocre church. We do not want to be lukewarm people. We want to love you with fervent hearts. Lord, come and break us again. In Jesus' name. As you guys are getting ready to pray, good word. I want us just to have a moment where we reflect. Um, Marielle mentioned earlier that we had a theme this year on abide. Um, and if you were to be honest with yourself, how's your time in the word going? We had a whole sermon series on prayer. How's prayer going? Um, and the, the question might come across as harsh, but bear with me. Have you prayed more since our sermon series on prayer? Have you read your Bible more since we preached on the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God? Or is, just this, is this just another Sunday? We are busy with a sermon series on revival. And if you are a Christian... The theme of revival should be something that stirs in your heart, that awakens you throughout the night, that causes you to go to bed late, that causes you to get up early, to get on your knees and pray that God would cause His kingdom to come if you are a Christian. So over the past two Sundays, has anything changed in your life? Or is this just another Sunday? There is no salvation apart from Christ. Jesus has a parable where he shares with a group of people and he tells them what it would cost for them to follow him. And then they turn to him and says, but Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can follow this? And then Jesus goes on to explain it a bit. And then the scripture says, and many stopped following him that day. Many stopped following Jesus, whom they saw and touched um, in the flesh Many stopped following Jesus that day. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them, So what about you? 
do you want to stop following me as well? And then the disciple says, Lord Jesus, where will we go? You are the only one who has the words of life. And I think the question, church, is, is that what you believe in your heart? That there is no life apart from Christ. I don't care what you do, what you have, what you've seen in the world, how many passport stamps you have, um, what your friends think about you, what your bank account says about you, is the belief in your heart that Christ alone offers life. There is no salvation apart from Christ. But then there is no Christ apart from Lordship. In Acts 2, where Peter preaches the first sermon, he gives them the first exposition of this message of Jesus. And he ends with this and says, Know this, that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He is the, the owner. <laughs> he is the master. He is the king. And then there's this beautiful promise where the king rules, he saves. And for some of us, there are areas in your life, even if you are born again, where you do not get to see the fulfillment of the promises of God's word, the joy and the peace and the breakthrough and the deliverance. Everything that the scripture has proclaimed, Christ has come to do, you do not get to see that in your life because the reality is he is not Lord over every, every area of your life. Where we still want to be in control, where we still want to tell God what He needs to do and how He should do it. Friends, Jesus does not work that way. He is the roaring lion. And when He pitches up, there is a fiery fire in His eyes. He calls the shots. So the question tonight as we pray and as we say, Lord, give us pure hearts. Friends, let us not waste our prayers. Let this not just be another Sunday and then a year from now I ask you, how's it going with revival in your heart? And then nothing has changed. Let's be a people who are serious about Jesus. So as we pray now, as we ask God to come and create clean hearts in us, allow Him to take out the filth. Allow Him to take out the stuff the book of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author, the beginning, and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And he continues and he says, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. We lose focus of who Jesus is, and the result of that is we become weary and discouraged. The result of losing focus of who Jesus is, we become busy with the things of this world. The things of this world get a greater priority. Sin takes greater priority. Laziness takes greater priority. The approval of man takes greater priority. We forget. Therefore we ask, Lord, come and create in me a clean heart. Like David prayed, Lord, do not take away your spirit from me. So if there's something that you need to respond to tonight in prayer, know that you have the Lion of Judah listening in it's not just the lamb that died for you on the cross he is the Lord, the king and when we pray we are addressing the king of kings but then as you address the king of kings in prayer tonight know that the king of kings is tuning his heart towards you 
And that should bring comfort to your soul. Because like Marielle said, everything that Jesus has planned for you is good. So let's take a moment. Let's ask God to create in us a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that seeks Him. So if you do not have someone, move closer to someone. Let's pray.